Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Tech Smash Bros. This is episode 19. And I'm recording this intro like 13 hours after the recording itself. So if I say today in this intro, I really mean like 13 or 14 hours ago. Um, so this is gonna be a little bit of a long intro because we discuss some topics that I think require a little bit more of a background to give some clarity to whoever's listening. And the topics that we discuss in this episode are GameStop stocks and The Bachelor, which is a reality show. So GameStop stocks and a handful of other stocks like um, AMC, Naked Juice, they've exhibited this phenomenal, ridiculous, astronomical, unprecedented increases in their stocks where they've appreciated in their price, uh, their stock price by 100% plus gains each day over the past few days. And one of the narratives in this incredible run is how retail investors, retail investors are like the average Joe of investing, like normal people like me who are investing. Um, so retail investors that are buying into GameStop, GameStop stocks, that's a tongue twister, GameStop stocks um, and other stocks and driving up the price uh, of these stocks in, a, in, an astro- in an astronomical manner and these retail investors are driven maybe amongst many other reasons but one of the one of the narratives for their motivation is that they they're punishing and challenging and damaging um, institutional investors like big financial institutions hedge funds banks um, that are betting against GameStop stock um, and one of the institutional investors here is uh, Melvin Capital and they they have a short selling position position that they hold against uh, GameStop where they benefit if the stock does worse and worse and they incur losses if the stock does better and better. So in the appreciation of price that we're seeing driven by retail investors, this is damaging the institutional investors like Melvin Capital because their short selling position on GameStop stock now means that they're incurring losses uh, as the stock does better and better. So that's the context for GameStop stocks and other stocks. Um, and I think that gives more clarity into the discussion that David and I are going to have in this episode. As for The Bachelor, that's a romance reality show where there's a male bachelor, a prized male bachelor, that is looking for his fiance by the end of this whole show. Um, and there are about 30 or so female suitors that um, were presented in the audience. And we saw all these female suitors, and they're all competing for um, The Bachelor's affection and in the end selection of his fiance um in this most recent episode five new contestants joined um and this caused quite some stir and some uh interesting behaviors to say the least in this episode so we talk about the most recent episode of the bachelor okay so that's in that introduction to give some clarity into the topics that david and i will discuss in this episode I do encourage people to do their own research if you want to understand this more because um, what I just described, although it's in my introduction, it's also just my, it reflects my understanding of the topics that that we're about to discuss about stocks, my understanding of stocks, my understanding of The Bachelor. So um, don't take them for facts necessarily, but know that that, that's just my understanding. Okay, now without further ado, here's the episode. And we're on record. Hey, welcome to episode 20, I think. The short squeeze. Short squeeze. Oh, (laughs) yes, yes. Yeah, two main topics to talk about. Uh, One, The Bachelor. Did you watch the most recent episode of The Bachelor? I did, I did. Yeah, so that, we can talk about that. And then today, of course, um, where GameStop continues its streak of incredible gains and making people rich, forgiving people of student loans. Um, sticking it to the man, all kinds of different implications with, with what went on today. Um, so yeah, we can, we can talk about those. Um, Let's do it. But first, quick quick recap on what you did this last week. And what, any any notable highlights from what you did last week? Uh, this last week, I did the same old thing. Actually, no. Uh, my mother tricked me into an eight mile walk, round trip walk to the farmer's market. Um, so 
right now, the only people that I see is my family. And so I, um, what do we do? We, uh, my mom wanted to chat quote unquote, um, and just kind of like catch up and stuff like that. So, um, we went to the farmer's market and then, uh, that was pretty much it Sunday. I think no Sunday. I couldn't watch the bachelor. Uh, Sunday I made, uh, pad thai for the first time, which was pretty cool. Nice. Did you look at a recipe? I did. What site? Uh, no, it was big brand sites. I think they're starting to, it's called, uh, fit men cook. And they're like, uh, they have a heavy emphasis on like, uh, eating well and like healthy and stuff like that. Huh? Okay. So yeah, interesting. Simple weekend. Did it taste good? The bad time. Yeah, it's been pretty good. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's not authentic pad thai, but I mean, to do something different. I mean, the weeks before, I've just been like, uh, I had a Mediterranean chicken recipe that I've been using, and so I've been pretty much eating that. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do something far out of what I'm, I'm used to. None of the foods that you mentioned are foods that I cooked. That's interesting. What'd you cook? I mean, I, I just we generally cook um spaghetti often um a lot of like rice and protein dishes with like brussels sprouts or some sort of greens on the side yeah um but generally those are the things well yeah it's interesting. those are the more common dishes too so i'm surprised well, i guess you do those too but i guess yeah and mediterranean chicken might be i don't do mediterranean chicken but it's i mean in most instances i'm like modifying it so with the pad thai um instead oh. of like rice noodles i did uh, spaghetti squash noodles um with a pad thai yeah so it's not like authentic oh, pad thai uh but i had like i've been trying to cut down on carbs so uh dude you're already losing weight why cut down on carbs i just like eating like more keto ish so like i kind of like toe the line of like being in ketosis and not being in ketosis so um yeah i don't know it's a bad habit <laughs> it's a bad habit oh i mean you seem to have this diet with health considerations in mind, aka keto. So I don't hope that's a bad habit. Well, because like I like to binge eat ice cream, so like I save <laughs> oh, all my carbs well, so I could eat ice cream. Part. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. forgot to mention that part. That's why I say keto-ish. Uh, what ice cream do you go for? I go uh, to Costco and I get that like Hagen Dazs ice cream with the almond chocolate. I don't know you know. I give you, I give you a pass this time, but there, there are better options, in my opinion. Um, well, you're taking into consideration the cost of like the cost as well, because it's cheap in Costco. That that ice cream, unless there are better ones at Costco, but it's that's a pretty che- good deal. It's cheap, but if you're gonna treat yourself, you might as well treat yourself with something. Like I like experimental flavors, so like I, I like I don't buy the same ice cream over and over again. Hmm. So That's Jenny's good. ice cream is pretty good. Um, they had like this peach cobbler uh, with, I think it's like buttermilk biscuits that they put inside of it. Um, yeah. And then uh, Cool House has some pretty good ice cream. But yeah, usually Friday nights, that's when I like, I'll buy uh, uh, some ice cream. Uh, and I just kind of like chill, relax, and just kind of enjoy like a movie or I'm learning how to DJ. So... Uh, I practice DJ. <laughs> you're really into like the creative arts, right? You, you, you're a Twitch streamer. You like podcasting. Like you're like a modern creative <laughs> artist because you, you don't like paint stuff, but you do like, you like things of self-expression and DJing would be one and then podcasting would be another and then streaming would be another. Uh, I guess so. You could say that. Yeah. I just like, I don't know. I just need to express myself in some way um no i feel you some way shape or form yeah i haven't quite gotten it down but there is definitely something just gratifying inherently about podcasting and the act of self-expression um i haven't quite got that down yet but one day i will share my insights one day <laughs> yeah dude this, this this week has been really tiring <laughs> it's been so tired have you done any golf uh at all i think i played friday last week um and we played a little bit of tennis too Mm-hmm. I think work's just kicking my butt. Um, it's I don't know. It feels busier. Yeah. So there's that too. And then of course there's um, I don't know if investing is, <laughs> has been an added stress. 
So maybe it isn't. I mean, I've not invested in those volatile stocks, so it doesn't stress me out as much. But maybe part of the stress is seeing everybody just cash in and get rich real quick, and yeah. I'm, I'm experiencing FOMO. But you have a high, you have high risk tolerance though, more than I do, I think. What? I think so, dude. No, you were you were um, espousing some very risky <laughs> stocks before, where I was like, I don't think I'm going to and you're like all in on this space stock train, and you have some other. Actually, I don't see. Actually, maybe that's the only one that I was like. Really, I thought I have no idea why he's doing this, and you went all in on. I did went. I went in on Workhorse and I got uh, burned what? hard on that. Oh yeah, yeah. I think you. Yeah, I think you told yeah. me too. Because that yeah, was so you, right before they got they landed their contract with the um, U.S. Postal Service. Oh. Uh, oh, uh, but you went in on it. You, know, you went like really hard in on it. Like I don't know if I've done that for some of the stocks that you've you've done that for. So but, I, I risk tolerance rise. I, I wonder if it's comparable between you and me. Uh, well, I mean, I'm trying, I think for me, it's like, I'm trying to make up for lost time. Cause like before I would say last year, I didn't really like trade and invest or anything like that. Um, like I had, I think the only shares, honestly, that I've had, um, were, uh, GoPro stocks that I have in like an E-Trade account. I don't even have the password to the E-Trade account anymore. But I bought it when I was in like college. Um, oh, in college, GoPro. Yeah. Yeah. How is it doing now? Is it still alive? I don't know. It's not even on my watch list. Let me take a look. I don't know. It might be on my watch list still. GoPro. Oh, man. Oh, it's at 9.7. see. Year to date. Past year. Up 122%. Pales in comparison to what into what GameStop did in three days, but yeah, not, not too bad, not too bad. So I probably um, have like I don't know, maybe like fifty bucks based on GoPro. That. Yeah, <laughs> Just GoPro. Want to see? Yeah, your GoPro. If I have to draw an equivalent stock to GoPro, that would be Fitbit, because I feel like it's so it's it's product diversity is so limited. It's just this one product with very limited application not very diverse so that's and fitbits like that too so yeah that's kind of the product equivalent that you draw to but i don't know i feel like there's more versatility with like fitbit right because like fitbit yeah like, yeah i guess you're right yeah. like who's buying gopros like who bought a gopro this year like you can't go anywhere like yeah, there's no real true. use for it that's true i don't i, mean, I have like two and i don't use my gopros yeah, I feel like fitness is just a more, I, I don't know about more diverse, but Fitbit, I think, or fitness in general and health has a more wider audience. And then GoPro is very, the population is more niche where you're tar targeting to. It's like people who want to document their experiences, generally if they travel. Yeah. And it's, it's one that's very niche too. People aren't traveling. Um, yeah, so, yeah. But I'm surprised the stock, I mean, it went up 100% the past year. So I guess no, right? not too bad. I wonder what its um, peak was in the past five years. Let me check. GoPro. Past five years. Oh, okay. In the past five years, it went down 10%. Its peak price in the past five years is $14, $17 ish. It was $85 a share in 2014. $85. Oh my God. It just <laughs> took a huge hit, really, over the course of five years. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, yeah, the, the product is just so not diverse. If they diversified a little bit, I don't know, create other like product line based off of their original product line. I don't know what that would look like. I mean, I think they had a better chance, but yeah. Just such a niche population, dude. But I don't think they do in terms of like their, their profits and losses. Like they're not a very like profitable company, if I'm not mistaken. They're not, yeah, it looks like they they were profitable-ish this year, or this last quarter. At least in Q4 2019, they were profitable, it seems. Because the thing is, it's like, how do you get people to buy, like, you're not buying cameras very regularly, right? Like, if you buy a camera, unless you're like, like well, even like professional photographers aren't buying cameras all the time. So like, oh. you know, like I, when I do sports photography, I have my 7D. I've had that for 
five years now, five or six years now, it works. Like I don't need to upgrade it because it does everything that I need. The GoPro is the same thing. I don't use it as frequently. So like, how can they convince me to buy another? Yeah. How do they have like recurring revenue? Um, yeah, that, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know too much about that. I'm not an expert about the product, so I, I don't, I can't really say too much, but common sense wise, that makes sense to me. That would be a flaw in the product, especially as a recurring stream of revenue and to build that up a little bit more. Yeah. If they're not like repeat customers on a frequent basis. And it's, kind it's of a hard revenue. Yeah. It's hard revenue to build and then increase. Yeah. I don't, yeah, maybe they just do something on purpose with the product. Like, oh yeah, just make it such that it can it needs to be updated every three years or something. Because like that's the same. That's the thing with um, the iPhone a little bit. Like you like it. I had I had like an iPhone four for like five years, but after it was good condition. But after like five years, the software update was becoming way too advanced, and like it, my my iPhone four couldn't adjust it. So, but. I they have be- their products have better shelf life than any other than most other products, right? Like GoPro or yeah, oh, Apple for Apple, like my um, MacBook Pro from 2012. Like I use it for everything. I use it for video editing. I use it for photo editing. I use it for some games. Like it, I don't have. I don't need to update it anytime soon. Um, oh. But a lot of products, their the shelf life is just really not there. Yeah, but but that but 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 that was a case we built against GoPro. Like we saying we're saying that shelf life might be large enough. Oh yeah, 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 that's true. So that's yeah, true. so people won't go back and replace it. You're, you you made the case for the shelf life being uh long for these cameras, being a case for why people are not going to go back and buy and replace. So, yeah. Same thing with iPhones, but I mean different with Apple, I guess. But I, I Android's this- not that same way. Or like Sony is not that same way. Their phones at least. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But there's but people are still buying those phones again. I I feel like the case for a long shelf life isn't as applicable to mobile phones, I guess is what I'm saying. For some reason with GoPro or cameras, in my head, I'm just thinking intuitively, yeah, that seems to be like a case against building and increasing revenue. But, but I don't that's, know. that argument doesn't apply to smartphones for some reason. We we're just Yeah. We're confident that sales will build and compound over the years. Yeah. Um, with like Apple Apple phones or other popular mobile phones, but can't can't make the same case for um, cameras and yeah. GoPros. You know. Anyway, well, that's GoPro. It's a little bit more boring, but let's talk about GameStop. <laughs> GameStop. Did you did you um, bite a little bit out of that Apple? Uh, yeah, I've definitely been playing around. I mean, with all those stocks with, uh, AMC, uh, when did you get uh, it? Naked AMC. So yeah, I got in yesterday morning. Wow. Uh, held overnight. Wait, wait, I just, I I had no idea about naked. I'm just looking it up naked 252%. (laughs) Nobody talked about that in our chat. What? Dude, why don't you bring this up? (laughs) 252 percent it's pretty Dude, at volatile point, at two at some point it was oh my god that's the definition of a meme stock right now it's it's purely it's really volatile okay i don't understand how um okay so i can understand like one stock like one stock just shooting for the moon everybody yeah. just rallies behind rallies behind one stock but i don't think i've seen like a collection not just one like collection of stocks that go up like more than 200% or over 100% in a day. So we got like Nokia, we got Naked, we have AMC, and we have Nokia. That's four yeah. stocks. That's four. How does that happen? I mean, GameStop might do the same thing tomorrow. I think it will do that tomorrow. Dude, GameStop? So just to recap, so GameStop, um, let's see. Just about like, oh, no, no, I'm going to have to go back further. So at some point... Um, GameStop was like at some point in January, GameStop was like at 30 bucks. <laughs> now it's at 300. Yeah. <laughs> With no significant like <laughs> news that, that should inform and explain this incredible trajectory, except for the fact that I think there's like this investor that is taking over 
or taking some sort of important role in the board for GameStop. But other than that, no other significant use. And that alone is just not enough to explain this phenomenal and ridiculous increase. Um, well, so I think it's so I've been really looking into this because uh, I've been actually really curious about this as well. Everybody is. And it it's actually I mean, it, it was eventually bound to happen where you have I mean, the situation plays out to where a guy finds out that these companies are uh, short selling uh, GameStop uh, up to, I think, uh, short selling 140% of the shares. So already off the top. It just doesn't make sense why why they have this many shares um, that they're attempting to short. And so he, this past year, he's just been sharing what he's been doing, um, and other people have been like buying into it. And so with Melvin Capital is the company that um, that has been doing the short selling. Um, Wait, why short selling doesn't increase the stock's price? You decrease that. Yeah, but if you get enough people to buy the stock, it increases the price and it forces oh. these guys to cover their shares, uh, cover the price oh. of the share increase. Wait, what? So you're saying there's a there's like collateral kind of that they have to <laughs> create for their short short selling scheme, and that's why there's so much demand. Yeah. Of- is that really what's driving it? Yeah, that's that's honestly what's driving it. I, I thought it was just was just I some for some with some coincidence and um well, yeah with some really incredible coincidence we have like people on Reddit the WSB Reddit thread just all buying into the stock that that I thought in mass was driving the purchase of it. No, it's it's really honestly a ma- it's it's become like a manifesto of like beating wall street at their own game and teaching them a lesson and so now from what i was reading today is that um there's still i think like 30 million shares that melvin capital um i think yeah melvin capital needs to uh cover uh within the next six days uh in order to address the outstanding shares that is like over uh, the number of shares that are available. So that's where now there's this issue to where if people keep holding the stock and keep buying the stock, it forces Melvin Capital to sell. New people buy, drives up the price, forces Melvin Capital okay. to... But but people are buying in to stick it to Melvin Capital. But when we say people, then it's people on Reddit or WSB, right? These people are included. So it, what is really driving the price is, I mean, the motivation can be like another party, but the people who are taking the action to drive up the price, that's actual people. Yeah. And I think it's growing. It's growing outside of Reddit now to the point where everybody's just trying to get in. And so it's literally just going to fuck these guys over over the next week. Melvin Capital. Yeah. 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 Okay. So yeah. So it's people. Dri- what does that sound in the background? What's that? pen? Is a pen or something? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, that's my earbuds. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, my bad. It's okay. Listeners are annoyed with you, but it's okay. <laughs> okay, but I mean, but, but regardless then, it's people driving up these prices. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, their motivation, I guess the motivation is strong enough to unite them in such cohesion, such intensity that this stock is just skyrocketing out of this earth. Um. But I, I, I was trying, trying to say in the chat, like, I, I really think this exposes a true paradox in market fundamentals and trying to, it just exposes the illusion of explaining how the market works with some sort of like analytical and rational rigor. <laughs> because it, in the end, what, what, what determines whether price goes up or down is just demand and supply. Now, who informs and who, who, who's behind the demand? Yeah. People buyers right and maybe back then when it was just like institutional buyers that were really the biggest part of demand now if it's just p other people and just normal masses and if they're part of the demand then they're the ones driving up the demand um and driving the prices as well and whatever they want to do to inform their decision making that will then be used to make their decisions and so in market fundamentals doesn't mean shit to them if it doesn't mean shit to them then 
that's what's going to drive up the prices. And so it, market fundamentals held because institutional buyers maybe were like, oh yeah, we're going to use like market fundamentals and market rigor to make our decisions. Yeah. Okay. So if that's what they were believing should inform the market because there's such a big part of demand, like there's such a majority party in the demand of stocks, that is what's going to inform whether stocks go up or down. But now it's a game of numbers. If 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 the other part of demand, the majority of demand, decides there's <laughs> other factors, then market fundamentals and market analysis, market rigor, stock fundamentals, whatever it is, that that doesn't matter. Which I argue, I think, and and I still would need to do more research to defend this position. But I don't think I I think that the idea of using market uh, fundamentals to determine uh, decision making has been something that hasn't been used for quite some time. Especially when you look at a lot of the companies that are technically overvalued or like companies that aren't that aren't profitable, right? Like why is Tesla at the price it, as it is if it's not a profitable company? Even that though, that there's there's still some rationale behind it because because your present value of a stock is not just gonna be determined by what the company's making now. You're also thinking about, oh, what is it gonna be in the future? Because there's because a dollar tomorrow if, if, if a company, let's say a company makes a dollar today, but the next year it's going to make $2. Well, that calculates into the value of the company at the present because it speaks to its potential for creating money in the future. So you have to capture that at the present. Like if you're going to buy a company now, you're not just going to buy it just because of the value it brings today. You're buying it also because you, you're thinking about what it's going to generate in the future. So I can see the rash, that rationale applying to Tesla and therefore people buying into it. And plus this year, indeed, they were profitable. They were not making a profit before, but this year they were profitable in their fiscal year. So uh, it validates his future thinking with Tesla in a way. GameStop, I, I don't, the same logic doesn't apply. And plus Tesla never skyrocketed like a hundred percent in one day, man. That's true. But I think also at the same time, the, I mean, you have to ask the question, right? Of like, how long is it going to take me to get a return on my investment? Like if you're an investor, right? Whatever company or business it is that you're investing in. You're right. You're right. No, that's right. But you ask those questions. You ask those questions with Tesla, but you don't ask those questions with GameStop. Like that's- Why not? Because that's not what's informing what's driving this, right? It all, well, I guess that's right. You're you're right about that. But it, it, it comes down to like what you deem as being valuable at the end of the day. Like if I'm at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's the buyers, whatever the buyers deem, I think is valuable. Whatever they use to decide their decision making and to make their purchases, I mean, that's what they're going to go with in the end, and that will be the driving force of the demand if they have the numbers and intensity. And I think honestly, based off of the decisions that people are using right now for GameStop, I think that's what makes it valuable because there is a lot at risk, right? There's uh, the ability to teach these big businesses uh, that, you know, are able to get endless supplies of cash from, you know, the feds and all this stuff and teach them a lesson. Like there was one, um, which I can't remember which business uh, closed yesterday because they could not, like they were so deep in in debt from this that like they couldn't pay off the the money that they owed. And so they had to close. That that was after 2.75 billion cash infusion. Like it just goes to show that I think it's like as retail traders, as retail traders, that's the name, yeah. Consumers, like I think it's about time that people like really I don't know, like fought for their rights. Like, you know, it's not <laughs> so fair that- I, in the way you're characterizing this, the implication is that the stock market is not a stock market. It's a vehicle for punishment. <laughs> It's a legal instrument for the masses. Like that's not what the stock market was designed to do. But that's how you're characterizing it. That's how you're characterizing, which is what's what's very like odd, ridiculous, and nonsensical about everything that's happening. Um, but the market but, doesn't make sense. I think that's a thing too. Like everybody's. I think people are saying, "Oh yeah, this is not investing. This is gambling." No, investing and gambling are the same thing. There, there. It was always in nature. Like it's going to be determined by the people who move the stock prices with their purchase decisions or selling decisions. So it's always, it's always been informed by the people, whether it's an institution or people um, buying it or selling it. Um, 
what's changed now is really just, I think, the number and intensity of the people who have now different motivations, different um, reasons to to make their decisions. I'm for um, it. I love the volatility. I know it hurts when you get hit, but I think, I mean, it's just for it's, people that are able to pay off their their debt, their student loans, their like some people were writing checks for their parents as like a thank you. Like it's empowering. Like I like let's see how far this rides out. Like I hope yeah. people can get as much money as they can out of this situation. And you know, I will say that it's unfortunate for the people that are affected that do have their money in these hedge funds. But yeah, man, that's also there they set too, up you know? this game. They set up this game. I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, sure, whatever. They they like they they made that decision. There's risk in the market, um, so you know that's part of the risk as well. I, I think if the motivation really is to put them out of business, I mean, part of it I think that's ignorant of is like there's there, these are people too. They're they're people that have jobs as well. They have families as well. I mean, let's, let's also let's also think about that one when you decide to. Just put a whole business out of business. But that's um, what these guys were doing to GameStop though, right? Like devaluing devaluing the company so much so that they thought oh, that they would they? never have to um, you know, change their position. They thought they maybe they assumed that they would just be able to forever short GameStop. Well, I mean, that's the risk of the stock market, right? Is you never know tomorrow some news could come out and SEC says, "Hey, you can't do this anymore." Or, "Hey, like you know, free game. Like, who cares? Like, we're gonna let this ride and let the market decide. You know, I mean, GameStop. If they, if they issue something like that, every almost every financial institution who analyzes stocks is gonna be put on alert. Like, you know how <laughs> Citibank comes out and says, "Oh yeah, we rate a buy for this stock. We set a price target for this." Yeah, I mean that's that's what we're saying. I guess that's what you're saying is being discouraged by the retail traders. Yeah. That's, but that's the name of the game. That's the name <laughs> of the game. I mean, just in the way you've characterized this, I, I think I think someone is actually accurate. Like people are thinking, yeah, let's put this business out of business. You know, I'm making my decisions out of vindictive reasons and just really stick it up to the man. I mean, the way we've characterized that, there's no sense of market fundamentals or like investing fundamentals behind it. Yeah. And that's just how it, I think that's how it just always was. It was just a, an illusion kind of. And it was an illusion that you could power because you had enough size and in the institutional buyers um, and enough capital with institutional buyers to really influence the decisions and, and the pricing and buying and selling the financial instruments like stocks. Yeah. Um, but now there's enough numbers in Wall Street's Reddit forums and retail traders. Yeah. Did you get in on any of the hecticness? No. I mean... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had no way of seeing this coming. Um, I guess I really, I, I told you, um, but maybe if I was following more closely um, Reddit sentiment, that yeah. would have led me to make a very well-informed financial decision <laughs> and capitalize on its 100% increase. Because if that's where the demand is coming from, then that's what I should be... <laughs> <laughs> that's what I should be looking to and look the monitoring, but I didn't do that. Um, there, somebody created like a, a ticker board for a Wall Street bet sentiment. I think some somebody shared it in our uh, group chat um, where you can see, you know, what stocks people are talking about the most. And okay, I need to I need to get on that because <laughs> that's going to be my primary financial tool <laughs> yeah going forward this has been a, i mean it's not just that but then what so i said nokia is another one yeah amc what the where naked come from why is naked writing <laughs> what did naked ever do to is naked being shorted by another company is that <laughs> i have no clue but they were everybody's been that's been like one of the the top movers uh bed bath and beyond bed Black bath Bay. and beyond Yes, I think these There's are so all. Many. I think these are all companies that uh, Melvin Capital owns shares in, and so from what some people are alluding to is that like what may potentially happen is them just going down the list of all these stocks that have a huge number of uh, outstanding shares that have this yet is... to be <laughs> covered, uh -huh. and just going after those and just 
just squeezing them. Oh my god! It's like it's like a very mass communal <laughs> national activism, like financial investment <laughs> activism, in a way. But it's happening in broad daylight, as opposed to like you know these hedge fund owners or managers doing this behind closed doors, and nobody knows what's going on. So it's like who's really in the wrong here? Yeah, I don't know who's in the wrong. I I feel like more. This situation draws more of an eye for like what is happening, why this happened, instead of like making assessments of what's wrong or right. Maybe that should come afterwards. Um, I mean, in a sense, it's uh, highly democratic. Then if that's if the way we're characterizing is accurate, and that's what's happening, it's very democratic. You have like retail traders, the masses, determining <laughs> prices of financial instruments, like democrat democracy on steroids. <laughs> it's crazy. Market. It doesn't yeah. make sense. I mean, it makes sense. I, it makes sense that because it's demand and supply, if you really think about it that way, it makes sense because there's so many people buying into it. So, you know, the price will get influenced significantly and materially because of the numbers in it. Um, it's just nonsensical. I guess that's how I put it. Just nonsensical. Yeah. We're so used to like using like market fundamentals and relying on financial institutions like analysis and all these like different metrics of like, we got VIX and then we got like the RSI and all these like fancy little buzzwords for metrics. Um, but that doesn't matter when you, when the, when the big numbers of buyers and, and sellers are not from people who use those sorts of metrics. I'm yeah. like repeating myself, but I, I, I feel like this has really been an eye opening definition of what really drives the market. Yeah. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I think GameStop has beat earnings um the last few quarters i will check and verify let's see dude but barely not even not like big okay they, but they, they did q2, q2 <laughs> dude apple had the massive beat to this uh in their earnings this year right now and probably better than gamestop and they dropped <laughs> they dropped <laughs> really dropped so i don't i don't know beating estimates um not beating estimates is, i don't know if that's a great indicator for what should inform um, increases and in appreciation of stock prices. I mean, yeah, and then Q1 F F Y uh, fiscal year 2020, they 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 didn't beat and they were operating at loss, which I guess makes sense given you know the pandemic. Fifty six percent of analysts rate GameStop as a hold. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess I guess now fifty eleven percent buy, my friend, eleven percent buy. And I think a significant number of people are buying a lot more than what the analysts would recommend collectively. Not, <laughs> definitely not an eleven percent buy behavior we're seeing collectively on GameStop. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a hundred twenty percent buy because it's, like it's up one hundred thirty four percent today. I'm just saying, I don't, I honestly don't see this slowing down. Like, if that's the case, right? If that's the current sentiment, like. Who's to say that it, it doesn't hit 400, 500 bucks? At some point, people won't be able to afford a $300 or $5,000 stock <laughs> at some point. So there is a ceiling, I think. Um, yeah. But then look at it. I mean, it gives the company opportunities to do different things, right? To like revitalize their brand and to take, step, take steps towards being the brand that the people, being a brand that people actually want in the market. And so in the end, it's like, well, isn't the market doing exactly what it's supposed to do? If people say, I like this stock or I want this mm. stock, it gives this company that ability to expand and be something that it couldn't. Oh, I see. Well, yeah. interesting. Interesting. So, Oh, interesting. So you're saying maybe, maybe the behavior by the masses, well, what we think is nonsensical and driving like the stock prices up and just not basing it on like market fundamentals or any like more analytically rigorous factors. Maybe that behavior indicates what is appealing about the company itself. It, what's appealing about the company itself is a relevant factor in the value of the company itself too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like, why do people buy Apple, right? Because like people believe in the brand of Apple or people believe in the brand of um, Tesla. Right. Like I'm assuming most people that a lot of I would I would well, I, I want to be careful about quoting numbers and stuff, but I would assume there's a fair share of people that own Tesla cars that also own Tesla stocks, at least in California, I'd say. 
Probably. I see what you're saying. I mean, you're saying that a lot of the financial decisions are already informed by some sort of like fanaticism or uh, a non-rational loyalty, I guess. Yeah. Non-rational loyalty to a product. Maybe this is big. Maybe you do have a point. Yeah. I mean, we see that in like, yeah, like you said, Tesla and even Apple too. Maybe this is behavior that we can also classify as what consumers and their shareholders value. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because again, in the end, what's the what's the point of a share? What's the point of having a shareholder structure? It's to deliver value to the shareholders. Yeah. Dude, maybe, dude, that was brilliant. Yeah, because like, okay, I get right. Maybe got, in a way, in this nonsensical way, this is actually how the market was supposed to operate, you know? I mean, it makes sense. Like, it's like, like I'm sure you got the, the, the notification of like, hey, there's a vote on in March for Apple uh, making their decisions on like who's going to be on the board of directors and who's going to be uh, their new uh, accounting firm, their external accounting yeah, yeah. firm. Like yeah. if I have enough shares, I can influence then how the company operates. Now, if collectively, if we all decide, if we all say, hey, you know, this is the decision that we want the brand to go into and we have enough shares as a communal majority... And we have a way of communicating with each other in yeah. a, a very open way, in a very um, easy way. Then, I mean, hey, let the market decide, right? No, maybe and shareholders decide. I the mean, maybe this is it. Maybe it's like this is a shareholder model model on full and uh, um, I don't know about authentic, but maybe excessively <laughs> authentic. Maybe like excessively authentic display. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole thing with the market. The The purchasers come before the analytics or the fundamentals people use, not, not the other way around. It's yeah. not the fundamentals that then determine what people do. It's like, it's, it's the chicken and egg thing and they got the, the chicken before the egg or vice versa. Yeah. Um, so yeah, dude, that was brilliant. I really liked your argument there saying like, this is maybe this is just another form of shareholders expressing their their value to and, and where their values lie in the market yeah i mean I, we won't really see until everything is until the dust settles and who knows when the dust is going to settle you know yeah no even now i think that's that can be interpreted as i guess as an expression of shareholders and what they seem to value in the company yeah wow dude that's brilliant <laughs> i feel like <laughs> you can, yeah i feel like that's like paper worthy <laughs> in a way i don't know about that I think there's an insight there that you could explore a little bit. Um, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, I think there's like age old concepts there um, and fundamentally true concepts about shareholders really having the power in determining the direction of a company. So, I mean, there's a parallel there. Um, but not something that we can explore in the next like 20 or 30 minutes, but I'll leave it at that. Um, fledgling but very insightful thought that you just that you just formulated there. Another time. Yeah, no, that was great, dude. That was brilliant. I, I, I want to applaud that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, all right, next topic. Bachelor. You watched, uh, you watched the most recent episode. And also before we go on, spoiler alert, because um, I think we're going to talk about the most recent episode. Yes. Seeing David, you watched the most recent episode. Yes. I'm all caught. Um, strong reactions. Uh, what were your strongest reactions um, in that episode? Uh, Anna has to be the most toxic person next to you. Toxic and insecure person next to Victoria. The most? Mm, I wouldn't put her that up high. Really? Yeah. I would, st- I would still put Victoria higher than Anna lower um i don't actually i don't know if i blame her that much so your strongest reaction was towards anna oh yeah i think i mean what she did like in terms of like explain explain to the listeners what what she did exactly so for those who don't care about the spoilers um this episode a bunch of women join uh i think it was what five women yeah that's right five new women joined the house um Mm -hmm. to fight for matt's affection 
Um, one of the girls uh, was known by a current contestant on the show. And I believe, this is my interpretation, that out of her insecurity, she decided to create a rumor about who this other girl was in regards to what she does in her personal time, claiming that she's an escort. Yeah. Um, there was no reason for this. It doesn't really make sense as to why. It's something that I, I could see Victoria doing, but I didn't expect Anna to do something like that. I see. But you did notice when these new five girls entered, um, I guess, as a challenge, you know, as other challengers to ending up with Matt, there was general animosity towards them with the existing members. So it wasn't just Anna. There, I think there was like many girls who were put off by the, the possibility that these new five girls might be stealing away time and reducing their chances of ending up with Matt. Did you, did you, do you, you agree that it's not just Anna, like there was a general. Yeah. Animosity. But it's a compet. And this is the thing where like, I agree with what Victoria said before about like, this is a competition to be the person that ends up with Matt. So how could they have any automatic animosity when they knew going into this, that they would have to be competing? Like they shouldn't be surprised that there's a twist, you know, to this whole situation. Yeah, I I kind of second that as well because in um, Tasha season there were new contestants that came in as well, so I feel like there's precedent uh, for new contestants coming in. Oh, so um, this happens all regularly. I don't I don't know about regularly. I just know the most recent season of the Bachelorette, not the Bachelor. Mm -hmm. It happened. Um, so I guess there's precedent there too. So you're right. Maybe they should expect it somewhat. Um, uh, but on the other hand, you can understand them feeling uneasy. Like the stakes, the implications are, oh, the chances of ending up with Matt are lower. Their time with Matt are even lower too. So there's damage there that they're not very pleased about. So on, I, I can understand also why an, a negative reaction might be warranted on their side. But I also, you make, you make a good point, like, they should kind of expect this as well. Like it's part, it's part of the experience having competition. As, as uh, in a normal dating relationship, I could see that. But in this instance, their chances of being with this guy was already low from the get go. You always hark back to that. <laughs> You're like, because guys, guys and girls, just give up. Your chances are very low, so don't get disappointed if you don't. Give up with <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like you have zero, like. Oh, I won't say no, zero. Man. One out of 30. It's a non-zero number chance of ending up with this guy. Now, if they said, hey, you know, like, you got to deliver pizzas. And the person who doesn't deliver pizzas uh, to the correct number of houses or something, then, you know, they get voted off, but you get to stay on. That's a whole nother ballgame, right? Like, if there's, like, actionable things that they can do to prove that like, or not, not necessarily prove, but like actionable things that they can do to like keep their stay. That would be one thing. But in this instance, there's not much that they can do. It's all based off of how he feels. So if he's vibing with somebody and he's not vibing with somebody else, you there's nothing you could do about that. Mm. Let me offer a counter uh, a view on this too. There, I think there are many things. So you you kind of saying because this this boils down to subjective assessment and evaluation. This evaluation being by Matt James, the Bachelor, deciding if he likes a person or not. Because it's subjective, it's um. There's I guess people shouldn't uh, expect. I don't know if that expects the right word, but people shouldn't. Dude, what's helping out to you? What am I looking for? But people shouldn't put much stock into. Um, the achievement and and um put i guess thinking that they stand a chance yeah okay yeah all oh, right that's a that, that thing is a good way to put it yeah because it's so subjective but yeah. you look at like assessments of art too and like assessments of music as well that's also subjective in a way like it's 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 based on how people feel about the music how people feel about the art but there's still merit in it right and people will still strive really hard for it so I don't. So given that there are many areas where subjective assessments seem to draw merit, seem to be based on merit as well. I don't know if the subjective assessment part of the bachelor is a reason for girls to feel discouraged or not to feel discouraged. 
you know, I don't know if that's like a relevant factor. But I mean, okay, using that example, there's still elements of like, with music, there's still the element of like skill that's involved, right? So like, Dude, there's skill in, 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 in seducing a man. There's this, there's skill in working socially and using your social skills and your emotional intelligence and your other skills. That's right? true. That is very true. Um, yeah. It's it's. I think it's just it's too subjective. It's too unpredictable. There's there's some girls that still have. How many weeks is it now? Is it four weeks? Five weeks? Four weeks? Four to five. Whatever. Around, yeah. Around there. Still some girls that have not had a one-on-one with him. Oh, yeah. There will be many, many girls that will not end up having a one-on-one with him. <laughs> like, at that point, I would kind of get the hint and just be like, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. I'm not trying to break my heart anymore. I think you're a great guy. But it's time for me to move <laughs> In a way, but the chances that you describe how slim those chances are, I mean, that describes the chances of you finding your soulmate slash finding someone you really love to anyway. So is it really – is is that – setting and that context and that um low uh, that chance of being low is that really that far from reality no i don't think so and are you going to give up again in reality as well because your chances are low no you're still going to like look for someone you love and find a partner so again but- i don't know if that rationale that that you explained just because the chances are low too would hold both in the bachelor and in reality but, but if- to challenge there if I'm if I'm a woman and I like a guy and for five weeks I've been telling him I really like you, I'm interested in you, I'm I no, like I your, guess, yeah. your 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 the vibe that you're putting out, I want to spend more time with you, but this guy is not giving me the opportunity. It's it's all up to him. It's his yeah, decision. Yeah, yeah. He that won't is take me on a date, he won't uh you know come over to my house and hang out with me. But he, he'll interact with me in big groups of people. And this I mean, is going yeah. on for four to five weeks. Like at some point you got it. Like, I think you have to like realize in the same way that I think Matt has poor judgment. I think a lot of these girls have poor judgment. And I think we will see over time girls just start to lose interest in the whole experience as a whole because, oh, they, don't, because they don't, they can't spend enough time with him. Maybe possibly or another extreme take here but or it's just gonna make people more attracted to him because because there's so much competition for him it makes him look much more on a pedestal makes him look more attractive that could also happen there's like counter counter tendencies and counter um yeah counter tendencies i think they're being that's possible but i just think i don't know i mean i think you just have to be People might not like this, but I think you just have to be at a level of desperation to be in that situation and your desire for somebody grows that much when they aren't showing any interest in you. Mm, No, definitely worth thinking about. Yeah, maybe it is desperation that's really driving um, some some of the woman's like tenacity to go after. I mean, there. I think there are various reasons too. You get like more screen time as well because whoever, if even if you don't end up with a bachelor, you might become the next bachelorette. Plus, if you get more screen time, if you're like on Instagram, you get more followers too. Who knows? Also, there might be other people and other guys watching the show, and then they look at you in that show and they're like, "Oh my god, I really like this girl." So they like DM you, and then you find your match through there too. So there are like other incentives besides ending up with Matt and pursuing him, but you would continue to stay in The Bachelor. So, so it could be desperation. But it could be, it could be, yeah, yeah, I guess in the way, yeah, the concept of the show would be disingenuous a little bit, but there are other motivators for staying on the show than staying for Matt. I, in fact, actually in the full Bachelor, I feel like Matt's not really the main character in the show. It's like Victoria and the girls. And yeah, like if you, if you, if you really take a step, I feel like there's a one way to look at well, view The Bachelor and that's, the way it presents itself, like a romance reality show. But another very valid way of watching this show is just from a social experiment perspective. Like mm-hmm. if you present it as this is a social experiment, these girls are here to um, fight for and compete against uh, this man's love. Now let's all observe what kind of antics and what kind of behaviors they will engage in to get to that. And if you frame it like that, 
you could still be able to appreciate the show for many of its aspects as well, because that's a lot of what you see. And that's a lot of the behaviors uh, and actions that you see. And it's a lot of the talked about um, stuff that we talk about, like the social aspect of it too, like Victoria being toxic or Anna bringing up rumor and trying to um, uh, damage someone else so that she might have a better shot. Uh, like th- that's all like social behavior. It's like a, it's, a, it's like a sociology psychology sort of observation and yeah yeah. i would agree i would definitely agree with agree with that because you have now it's yeah like you're saying right it's not just about matt you have all these storylines and you're trying to you know get to know these people and see how far they will make it even though you know only one person is going to make it and there's some people that you wish had more screen time and you feel like they don't get enough screen time um and like originally, I didn't like Katie very much. Really? Oh, right. I didn't. I, like did, dude, I had no idea she was the vibrator girl. I completely forgot. Like you know, remember there was a girl that brought yeah. a vibrator and she had that the whole time. Yeah. I wasn't aware when I was watching this recent episode that she was a vibrator girl because I thought that episode she like in this most recent episode she exuded this um, this great sense of conscience in the exactly, face of a yeah. whole mob and be able to be true to her conscience to and stand up like that was so stark and so highlighted and i i characterize her so much with that trait yeah the vibrator um episode where she came with vibrating with humor and with lightheartedness i i I couldn't put the two and two together that's how stark the difference was so i i didn't know that she was the girl who brought the vibrator until i found out later yeah and i think honestly that like that whole experience between her and victoria on the couch and they're like victorious, like really trying to just like break her down. And like Katie is just resolved. Like she's not having it. Like she doesn't care. Like she's not apologizing for anything. Like really kind of changed my opinion. Cause I thought I, I felt like the same way that she was just like, just like, like too, I guess, jovial or just like too, like not serious. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, that whole experience. And then when she went to Matt, that was like a whole nother thing. And it was just like, all right, like she's okay. Like she's, she she's cool. herself well. I don't think she'll stand it. I don't think she stands a chance, <laughs> but I do like her character a little bit more. A little bit. Actually, I was a fan of her since episode um, two. I think that's when Sarah interrupted katie's time with matt and then she was upset mm. and so she talked directly with sarah i was like oh, i didn't appreciate it um but she was like very civil about it um she was very uh courteous i, I thought she was very in a way professional about it yeah and then the other girls though uh besides katie were like super pissed at her were like being very critical of her and then i thought katie had the most reason to be upset at yeah. sarah but katie was the first one that went to Sarah and said, you know what? I don't think this is right. What's going on with you with the girls being very critical of you. I wanted to, I don't know if she apologized, but she was sympathetic towards Sarah. She yeah. was like oh, the one of the only girls that was like sympathetic to Sarah while the other, all the other girls were like saying, you should just leave. It's not fair. You're, you're, I don't know. just being very critical. Um, so since then I, Katie, Katie got a fan in me. Like I was yeah. like, wow, this girl is like, really? She's, I, I, she's very, um, Oh, he's great conscience and great heart. Yeah, she, great she heart. seems a lot more personable, I think, too. Yeah, yeah, I don't, maybe. At least to me, perhaps. Yeah, I, to me, maybe. I think that's true. To me, just the trait that stand out to me was like just how golden her heart seemed to be, and like how I sound like a fanboy right now, but <laughs> <laughs> how how like how strong her conscience was too, and how her, how well attuned she was to other people's feelings and sensitive to other people's feelings were. Yeah. So yeah, since episode two, I was a big fan. But episode one, I, I thought it was funny, but I, I did not, I don't, I didn't recall that that was Katie. <laughs> yeah. So has would you say your opinions changed, uh, uh, in terms of who your predictions are? Oh, uh, who Matt ends up with? Yeah. I think you're right. I don't think he ends up with Katie. My prediction for the top three is, um, I, I think Rachel's for sure in it. Top three. That's my prediction. Do you know Rachel? She kind of looks like a Rachel Vice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they show her way too much in screen time wise. Mm-hmm. I, and I feel like that's a hint. 
towards what might might come ahead. Um, other other people. Who's the one? Michelle, I guess you want to date with Michelle. Most the recently. new one. Yeah, the new one. Yeah, and she's a teacher. Uh, I thought that went well, so I, I'm gonna put her there. Um, who else? Dude, I'm not sure. After this episode, I like to me how I've categorized classified girls or the contestants and the characters is there's a bachelor and then there's Katie and then there's the rest of the girls. Yeah. <laughs> because I and the new girls and the new girls who are kind of being bullied and, um, and not having a pleasant experience. Because yeah. I, I, beyond Katie, there's so many of the girls were just pouncing on the new girls. I know that there were some people that were like standing on the sidelines. Like I think Rachel was one of them. Abigail was one of them as well. Um, but there's so many girls that were just pouncing and hounding on the new girls. Yeah. I think so right now, I think number one that has a really good chance is Michelle just based off again, off of that, that date that they had. Um, I think Bree also stands a very good chance still because he's gone on multiple one-on-one dates with her. Um, really? More than the other girls. Yeah, he's gone on quite a few. He's given her two roses. Um, no, no, no. Oh, I was not on the group date. So one so one, one-on-one and another on a group date. Was that what it was? Probably. I don't think... I, I think the girls... We probably know about it if she went on two one-on-one dates because the girl would, the girls would be very angry. Yeah. We know, what we know about the girls right now. But she's at least gotten two roses outside of the elimination um, mm, that is big. thing. And then, uh, so Michelle, Brie, and then, um, I, wrote, I just wrote this. I think maybe Abigail. Abigail or Rachel. Because yeah, she got the rose at the first. Yeah. And I think she, uh, I don't know. She has a, I, I really like her. I think she's a, she seems like a very nice so person. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. And I just think that there would be an element to where they could potentially work together, but I think he's too. He has poor judgment. <laughs> he has poor judgment. And I also think he's too domineering for her. Really? Yeah. I don't get that sense from him. Like know. him and Michelle seem a little bit more like equals in terms of like how they operate. Brie a little bit more that same way as well. But I think with uh, um, Abigail, Abigail. It's yeah. like there's maybe it's just her timidness. She comes off a little bit too timid, and so mm-hmm. I'm not sure how that meshes well with his personality. Interesting, interesting that you see it that way. I always felt like if someone's domineering, the other person needs to be more willing to be receptive, because otherwise, if you have two dominating personalities, you're gonna you're going to clash. So I thought that would be that could be a recipe for a bad pair. Yeah, Seriously? I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I've seen that where you have like two really dominant personalities, and because one can be so strong on one side with an opinion, and the other can be so strong with another opinion, if those clash, that could result in quite uh, quite a conflict. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there was a lot to unpack with this episode, but that was a that was an interesting episode. Quickly, yeah. Uh, have you seen WandaVision? Oh, I, I gave it an episode. I gave it a try. It's an interest. It's very, in a way, eccentric. You gotta, it, it is very eccentric. And it, Does it like have a complete pot plot twist yeah, in the middle somewhere. I think so. But it's definitely one of those shows that you have to keep watching. Like the first episode is kind of like you're trying to figure out whatever's going on. And it moves really quickly, but it it's interesting. I, I like the direction that it's going in. You do? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, because if you just watch the first episode, it seems like you're just putting two Marvel superheroes in um, in a like, retro comedy, and that's all they're doing. Oh, how would these characters look like in a retro comedy? I guess that's kind of like the fourth wall uh, move by... Yeah. Yeah, by by Marvel is saying, oh yeah, these guys don't know they're in a retro movie, but they're actually in another alternate reality. But like that first episode was exclusively them in a retro comedy kind of, and that was that was really the entire plot. There wasn't like this this indication of a plot twist. Um, there was a little bit like saying, oh, we forgot what day it is today. Um, 
so you get the sense like oh okay they're 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 placing this right now um yeah i don't know what the literal device is but uh, you get the point like they, yeah. they, they they were all they see that that seemed to be what the show was about like some sort of retro comedy with his marvel superheroes but now there's a sense like there's this alternate reality as well that they're being put in yeah um, yeah so how how far are you in with wandavision uh i've watched there's only three episodes so i've watched all three episodes there's only three? Oh, and you already you already like it they're short like it. they're really short they're like tw- i think only half an hour so i breezed through it in like literally an hour and a half <laughs> yeah i'm hoping for that in the end it just turns out to be like an all-out action episode where they're like fighting all their enemies yeah no i i think i think by the third episode i think you'll be hooked Really? So I, I, I think you should give it uh, a few more watches. I'll do that. I'll do that. Watch it. And then we can talk about it in the next podcast. Let's do it. Nice. Well, on that note, then, why don't we wrap it up? This isn't financial advice, but uh, buy GME. <laughs> That's exactly financial advice. Just no. um, make, make very <laughs> informed decisions. Um <laughs> Be very careful of where you put your money, but in the end, your money is your money. So do what you must. That's the truth. Do That's fact. That is, yeah. That's a fundamental truth. Um, All right. See yeah, you with in that, next episode. Yeah. See you next episode. This was fun, as always. Peace. Bye.